why uh, we baptize today. And I'm excited about today because this uh, has always been a very intriguing question to me. Um, why we baptize and then why do we baptize the way we do. But much like we have done the first couple of times, um, uh, I just want you guys to interact with the text and interact with each other when it comes to this idea of baptism. And so we're going to look at, a, uh, I think I've got three different texts that I want us to look look at, interact with each other with, and then move on and, and even look specifically about baptism and see what the text says about baptism. So um, I think the first text up there is Acts 16 and then Matthew 18, look at uh, the Great Commission, more specifically looking at the baptism side of things, and then um, in First Peter 3 as well. So if you can figure out a way to, to kind of create a small group around you, um, that'd be great. And just kind of read, make observations, talk, interact with each other um, about what God's Word has to say about baptism. And then we'll, we'll, get, we'll get rolling on other stuff as well. It's just a couple minute, more minutes, so kind of start wrapping your discussions up. So I think we'll we'll go ahead and, and move on, um, kind of move on. So just real quick, um, just share. I just want us to want to give you guys opportunities to share kind of what you saw in the text, what you guys talked about. So let's just look specifically the Acts sixteen passage. Um, what did you guys talk about? What were some things that were noticed or said, and I have a mic that you'll need since we're, um, yeah, make sure everybody can hear, so I'll get you the mic. Um, we were looking at the Acts 16, uh, 29 to 34 passage, and some of the observations that we made were, number one, uh, the question was asked, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was to that was believe on the Lord Jesus. It wasn't believe on the Lord Jesus and be baptized. But they did respond, they believed, and then immediately after they washed the wounds and so forth, then they were baptized. So the observation there is baptism is important. It's, it's like it's an outward um, indication of what inwardly has happened, but it does not save. Mm-hmm. It's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that saves. So that was our observation about that passage. Okay, good, good, thank you. Anybody else make any other observation that goes along with it? With that, maybe even a different observation. I don't, I don't know. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> Run it all the way to the back. They were probably Gentiles because the jailer, it was his family that was baptized, mm-hmm. so they weren't necessarily Jews. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I didn't I actually didn't even think about that. That's good. That's good. Anything else? If not, we can move to Matthew 28. What did that have to say about baptism? Any thoughts, ideas? Well, it says that we need to go and make disciples and then baptize them. And then that's also where it says in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it also says, it goes on to say that we must then teach them the words. So there's a couple steps, I think, there. Mm-hmm. So the process doesn't stop at baptism. We're not baptized and then we're good to go. 
just kind of get left hanging. Good. Anything else from Matthew 28? All right, now let's go to, to 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. What observations about baptism could be made in this portion of Scripture, especially keeping in mind the whole context of Scripture? Um, there's a lot of stuff in that passage, and some of it's mm-hmm. not easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what it's talking about there is it's looking back at the flood. And it's looking about the cleansing that God did uh, with the flood. And only eight people, uh, Noah and his sons and their wives, were, and his wife were saved. And I think uh, Peter is talking there about uh, not water baptism, but he's mm-hmm. talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which I think cl- Scripture clearly indicates takes place at the moment of salvation. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's just looking at that and just the, the radical change that happens, just like the flood and, and God's judgment on the world, but that radical change that happens during the fact that when we are saved and baptized by the Holy Spirit. And uh, that, that's what Peter is, is at least partly talking about in that passage. Mm-hmm. So that was our observation about that. Yeah. Good. Good. Any other thoughts? Discussion points, observations, anything, because that was good. It was right on the money. All right, well, sounds good. Sounds good. We'll just kind of keep trucking along then, keep trucking along. So let's, after you guys have read that, let's let's talk about it. And the first idea is what is baptism or, or what is its function? Um, and simply put, I think uh, it was said over here, um, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. It's an outward expression of an inward Reality. It's a way to to represent, to physically show and picture um, what has gone on inside a believer's heart. We started out being slaves to sin. We go down, and we are then resurrected with Christ, um, and that is the the imagery there. It is visible, a visible declaration of what has gone on inside our hearts, and the. The word, uh, the Greek word baptizo, we kind of transliterate it, I believe. Am I saying that right? Transliterate? All right, that's always a fun word to say, and I'm never sure if I'm actually saying transliterate, if that's the word I'm supposed to use. Um, but it, it basically just means immerse, submerge, to make whelm, to make wet, um, and basically just a word for an ordinance for the function of baptism. And and so we are immersing ourselves. And I know I had a professor at Grace. He was an education professor who was all about baptizing, meaning immersing, and like looking at the Great Commission and saying, as teachers, you're going to immerse students. And so I, I think I, I disagree with him in a little in in his details. He had some weird details, but basically, what we're talking about is we're immersing ourselves, all right, getting getting wet, and um, it is declared, this declaration of the gospel is declared through immersing in water, being, being cleansed, all right, being cleansed, and so obviously I think this question gets asked a lot, and we are, we've already dealt with it, but is baptism required for salvation? Does baptism save? And uh, the answer that we came up with, as we heard over here, is no is no, and very simply put, uh, or we can look at a number of people. We have the jailer, um, for one. There's another example of the thief on the cross. Um, 
Jesus looked at him and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Um, he didn't have a whole lot of time to be baptized up there on the cross. So he didn't get baptized. That's another example of that. Um, and, and I think an explanation for that, why is baptism not required? Well, if you look at the gospel, and, a, and as we dissect the gospel, it's not what we do that saves us. It's what Jesus does that saves us. So us getting baptized is something that I, phys, or physical baptism, not spiritual baptism, something that I do doesn't bear any weight then on, on my own salvation. So Jesus, the idea of Jesus plus nothing, the idea of Jesus plus nothing um, shows up here. Um, I love the illustration when it comes to baptism. I love the illustration of a wedding ring, all right, of a wedding ring. Do I have any brave souls that can take off their wedding ring right now? Can any of you that are married, can, any of you, do, can you do that? Okay, go ahead and do that. Show it to everybody. It's off. Now, Pastor Tim, your wedding ring is off. Are you any less married than you were five seconds ago? No. no. You're still married. All right, the, the wedding ring is the picture. You can put it back on. You're all right. Get, get, get married again. Um, <laughs> no, but the wedding ring is, is the picture, is the symbol of marriage, of you being married, wedded, um, being one with your wife or husband. In the same way that baptism is simply the image, the representation, and the visual of you being the bride of Christ, and you being now resurrected with Christ. It's just the image. It's not the actual thing. Um, I always enjoy that um, illustration because I think, I think that's, that's very true, and I think there are actually you know, people that walk around and feel like they're less married if their wedding ring is off. At least I see it on TV a number of times. But <laughs> that's not the case. At all. That's not the case at all. Right? Um, so let's just kind of keep moving on. And why, why do we get baptized? So we know kind of what its function is. Um, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't save me, why exactly should I do it? It's a great question. Some people might ask that. And I think the first reason why we would get baptized is we follow. We follow. Um, a really important guy got baptized. His name was Jesus. Um, and we're trying to, to follow him, follow his examples. Uh, the early church baptized. Um, we were baptized uh, to, in, in their steps. And I think a lot of history would prove um, or, or go to show different functions and forms of baptism are more of what they did. I think you can look at the, the history and see that. So we're following. We want to follow the steps of, of the early church. We want to follow Jesus more specifically. Um, so following is the first um, first reason. The next is to obey. To obey. Um, we look at Matthew 28. What did Jesus command? He said, go and make disciples, but then baptize them. So if I'm a disciple, I feel like if I've been made into a disciple, I feel like baptism should follow. Baptism should follow. You playing with me back there? All right, there you go. Baptism should follow, and then we should be going and, and baptizing others as well. So we're obeying what Jesus said, very similar to communion. The early church took part in the Lord's Supper and 
washed washed their feet and and did that whole thing. We're following them, and then the Lord Jesus commanded us to take part in communion. And these are the same first two things, and then to proclaim, and then to proclaim. We want to proclaim. We want to proclaim what has happened. Now, this is a, a visual representation of, of the inward reality. We're proclaiming what Jesus has done. Every time we get to be baptized, any type of baptism is a way of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And that's what we want to, to proclaim that. We want to proclaim ourselves then as a part of Christ and a part of the body um, and unify us as well. Um, again, it's all about visually representing and proclaiming what Jesus has done in our lives and in our hearts. That's what uh, baptism is really, truly about. And man, I feel like I'm flying. Any, any questions so far? We're gonna, we may have a lot of time after this, so I hope you guys are all right being able to talk with each other. Um, but yeah, let's just move on. Um, keep moving to triune immersion. Why do we do it that way? And for for those of you that are unfamiliar uh, with this idea of, of how we specifically baptized here at, um, at Waynesboro Grace, we go triune immersion, meaning you go down three times, you know, in the name of the Father, down, in the name of the Son, under the water, in the name of the Holy Spirit, under the water, and then you're up, all right? So you're not being baptized three times, you're just going under the water three times, that's um, important to understand um, and, and specify. So that's how we do it, and we do it forwards. Um, but we do have reasons for it. It's not like we're, we're trying to, to hold you under to make sure you, you really mean it. Um, there are biblical theological reasons for us uh, doing this. And so the first kind of area we look at in Scripture is Matthew 28, um, 18 through 20, 18 through 20. And as we're doing that, um, I do want to shine light, um, especially in the, first, uh, in the first Peter passage, we see that baptism, which is spiritual baptism, but then he makes a reference to, spirit, or, uh, to physical baptism corresponding. Um, and, and basically what he's saying is it's, it represents this. And basically, if we look above, we see the gospel laid out. And he's saying, Baptism represents, baptism corresponds with the gospel. And so if we're going to represent the gospel through baptism, why not do it in the best way possible is the question I'm... I think that's a a sign. That's either a sign for me to keep going or for me to stop. I'm not sure. (laughs) Um... No, but as we proclaim this, we want to proclaim it the best way, and that's why um, we look at it through a uh, triune, um, through a triune, uh, or we don't look at it; we functionally do it um, triune. And so, uh, do I have a volunteer that wants to read Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through twenty? Because I've been talking too much. You guys should hear someone else's voice. Does anybody want to read? You'll do it. Okay. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you. You can keep the mic. All right. Good. Thank you for that. So, we're to go make disciples, do all that, and then baptize them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. And so we get to look, as we look at the details, and we want to be detailed about this, and we want to be specific, um, there's a little word in there that changes a whole lot, um, and it's the. All right, We get to see the, the specific, um, the presence of the points us to the specific roles of the Trinity. So we see in salvation, and that's where Ephesians is up there, but in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, they're each specific, all right? And, I mean, we could go into to the Trinity, and I could try and do some cool thing to explain the Trinity, and but really I wouldn't be able to explain the Trinity. Um, but we do know they each have specific roles. And so as we, we look at this idea um, as, of baptism and representing it, um, and we see that they each have different roles, there deserves to be a, a three into one feel to it. And, and the presence of the in this great commission points us to understand and points us to, to recognize this idea of there being different roles and relationships and actions of the Trinity. So let's look at, I, I want us to be able to look at these roles. So flip with me then to Ephesians. I know I'm having you flip all over your Bibles, but flip to Ephesians 1, because again, we're trying to represent this idea of salvation and of the gospel as best we can, um, so let's, let's understand it as best we can. Um, so Ephesians 1, all right, sounds good, okay. So Ephesians 1, um, and we, this is, this portion of scripture 3 through 14, we get to see what each role or each member of the Trinity does and what their role looks like in this uh, thing called the gospel and in this thing that, that ends up in salvation. And so the first couple verses, verses 3 through 6, we get to see what the Father's relationship and what the Father's role is. So I'm just going to read right here 3 through 6. And yeah. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. Okay, so we see the role of the Father, all right? We see the role of the Father. Don't get hung up on the word predestination, please. We're not going to, you know, I'm not going to dive into that whole thing. But we do see his, his role as he blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Um, in love, he predestined us for adoption. So he adopted us as sons. So the Father sent his Son to bless us, to adopt us, to bring us into his family. 
that's kind of the role of the father as we see. And I'm sure there's a lot more as we kind of correlate. And there's a lot more that, that he does as he's, you know, the orchestrator of the whole thing. Um, but he's the guy that we, that we should be holy, that we should be made holy and blameless before. That's the role of the father. And that's why we go in the name of the father. All right. We're recognizing his role in our changed heart, in our changed life. And then we move on to the name of the Son, and that's, we can look at verses 7 through 12. So I'll just kind of read that, and we'll, we'll see all that, that Jesus does. And it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. So, in Jesus, we find redemption. So what is the son's role? He gets redemption. He redeems us. He buys us back by his blood, through his blood, um, according to, to what he has earned, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us all. So Jesus' role was to, to redeem, to buy us back from our sin, through his actions, through his righteousness. All right, He gives us his righteousness, and then he obtains an inheritance for us. Then he obtains an inheritance for us, as we see in verse 11, right? According to the Father's will, he obtains this inheritance. And, and we get to see in verse 13 that the inheritance is actually the third member. So the Son goes down. The Son comes and buys us back from our own sin, buys us out of our own sin, and that is in the name of the Son. So that's the, the second time you go under. And then we see the role of the, the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14 um, in Him. And it's interesting that we get to see in Him so much. This is just kind of off the cuff here, but in Him is used a whole lot in this section. And I think in Him is in Christ because we see that earlier. So a lot of this is through Christ, not making Him higher than any of the other members of the Trinity, but it's just interesting observation as I'm looking at the text. Verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So, when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, when we hear the word of truth, we, the Holy Spirit begins to move and we see the Holy Spirit's role in that he works through the word of truth and then he is the guarantee, the promise, the sealing of our salvation. We're, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that, that marks us as the Lord's. So in the name of the Holy Spirit is then the work in our hearts and lives through the truth, and then the work through um, through the rest of our lives as we are sanctified, as the Spirit is continually working through the Word and through the Gospel. So those are their roles. We see the Father 
um, we see the Father not choosing us, but the Father blessing us, the Father orchestrating this, the Son coming down uh, to save us, um, and then the Spirit working in us. Um, I think uh, one of my favorite, I don't know if you guys are into hip-hop rap. um, (laughs) You don't think so? Okay. Well, I have uh, one of my my favorite, uh, there's a hip-hop artist who's a believer. His name is Shylin. He's one of my favorite, and he's very, he's very theologically sound and very theologically deep. Um, and then uh, one of his lines that he talks about the Trinity, um, he, he explains the relationship of the Trinity um, by saying the, the Father chooses them, the Son gets bruised for them, and the Holy Spirit, gosh, why don't I remember this one? And then basically the Holy Spirit seals them, ultimately. So the Father chooses them, the Son gets bruised for them, so the Son comes down, lays his life down, buys us, out, buys us out of our own sin, and then the Holy Spirit works in, continues to move in, and seals us as we continue on in this life. And I love that it's quick, and I mean, as a guy who, who enjoys hip-hop rap, um, I, I like that line, and so I figured I'd, I'd share that, because I think it is a good explanation of of the roles and of the relationships of um, the Trinity. So, as we look at this, and I know I blew through this, but baptism, the most important thing we understand about baptism is, is that it's representing and corresponding with the gospel. It's representing what's going on in our hearts. And there's a lot of different ways that people do this. You know, one time forward, one time backward. Are they celebrating or depicting anything different than we are. No. We're all celebrating and representing what has happened in our hearts. We look at the text and we see that going down three times to be baptized once best represents what has gone on and how this change has happened in our lives. I wouldn't say that somebody that goes backwards has done it wrong. They just probably had a harder time Leaning backwards. Probably the, the practicality of it was a little different. But ultimately, we want to celebrate and we want to depict and represent what has gone on in our hearts. It's the outward expression of the inward faith that we now have. All right. So, with that being said, like I said, I blew through this, and you guys have plenty of time afterwards. So, I'm going to pray. And then you guys can talk amongst yourselves, and I don't know if Pastor Tim has anything else he wants to add or detract from anything that I said. <laughs> yeah? I have a question. Is there, is there any particular symbolic reason why forwards versus backwards? Is there any kind of um, reason why? I think, I, I don't think so. I think some people can probably try and make it that way. But I think it's more of just um, the practicality of it. Um, I think it's, um, talking with Pastor Tim the other day, it's a lot easier to bend forward than it is to to lean backwards and go under. So I think a lot of it is the practicality of it. I don't, um, at least from from my perspective and my point of view, I wouldn't say there's a lot of symbolic anything. So I hope that makes sense. Do we, uh, 
Do we as Christians wear anything to show that we're Christians? What do we wear? What do we wear? Yeah. What do we wear to show the world uh, that we are Christians? I think it's I think the answer to that, I don't think we probably don't physically wear anything, but I think um how does the world know that we're Christians? I'm just curious of other people's answers. I mean, we show some we show a room full of people one day that we're being baptized that we're Christians. Okay, that's all well and good. But how do you show people every day that you're a loving Christian? People don't know but just by looking at you. You don't wear a ring that says I'm a Christian. You don't wear a necklace that says that I'm a Christian or I'm a good person. How do you how does how do people tell how do you send out your seeds to other people and be fishermen of other, you know, people that you want to bring into this this beautiful life? Um, I'm just I'm just curious. It's a great question. Jesus said in Matthew five, uh, "Let your light shine before all men, that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father that is in heaven." Um, Ephesians two ten. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus before the world began to do good works. Titus 3.8, insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may devote themselves to good works. So the, the what you wear is good works. But I can't see that as I walk by you on the street. And so I'm wondering, is there a way that we can, as Christians, because as a, as a majority, you know, the, the, the majority of the United States used to be Christian, and that is not happening. Uh, you know, it's decreasing. The Christian population is decreasing. We want it to grow, right? So with that being said, how can we, as Christians, put it out there boldly to people just walking by us, to people just smile? Do we have to be more friendly? Do we have to be more um, giving? Do we have to be more... What is it that we have to do to strangers walking by to initiate, hey, I'm a Christian. I am a, I'm a lover of God, and I want to share it with you. What do we have to do in order to bring people to be baptized, to show our baptism on a daily basis? What do other people do to share that you, with a stranger? You just said it. Everything you just said is it. Well, so I just, was wondering if other people yeah. did other things because that's what I yeah. do. But I'm wondering if other people have other ideas. Sure, that's a that's a great question. That's for my the question. Group. Yeah. I grew up with uh, Mennonite grandparents. They wore plain clothes. My grandmother wore a prayer covering, and if she went out during the week, she put a bonnet over her head. They thought that was identifying them as Christians. We have people that wear crosses around their neck. Or they make tattoos in their body with a cross. Does that make them a Christian? Not at all. The outward manifestation of being a Christian is not a physical apparel that you would put on or an adornment. It is the adornment of a life that is found in Christ so that Paul says to Timothy to uh, 
be ready always to give an answer to the hope that is within you. So the outward manifestation of being a Christian is the hope that we have within which comes out of us and we give a witness to Christ and if necessary use words. And that's how we, uh, I believe, that's how we manage. Wearing an outward adornment does not make you a Christian. Anywhere than the wedding ring makes you faithful to your wife. How many men are in adulterous relationships wearing their wedding ring that says they're one with somebody else? Or women. It's not just limited to men. All right, good. Well, I'll go ahead and pray. Um pray us out. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, God, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Um, Thank you for sending your son. And um, Lord, just thank you for the gospel um, of of your son. And um, Lord, just let it change our lives. And Lord, let us best uh, represent it. Um, Well, thank you for the idea of baptism, for the the picture you've given us. Um, But God, Lord, just uh, let it change our hearts um, and let it um, change our minds as we, we continue to live um, in light of what um, you've done. God, again, you're good. We love you and praise you. It's in your, your son's precious name I pray. Amen.